0: Oh, this road I'm taking seems to stretch for so long. But I know you're out there somewhere just calling me home. Good morning, everybody. If we haven't met, my name's Rob. I'm so glad you're here because God is just at at work right now, and not just right now, but he's been kind of working really, really behind the scenes and in front of the scenes and all over the place. And maybe you haven't seen it in your life this week, but um, I've gotten the chance to see that a little bit. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a second, because maybe you're like, I don't see God. But maybe you saw the All-Star Game, the Major League Baseball All-Star Game. Any any? Baseball fans in here? Okay, I'm thinking specifically about the ninth inning. Yes, our own Glenn Perkins, you know, Minnesota Twins, he was closing out the game. But the top of the ninth, they had this guy, our oldest Chapman, I don't know if any of you are Reds fans, but this guy threw 14 pitches, 12 of them were over 100 miles an hour. I mean, off the human arm, that's pretty incredible. He had a one, two, three, fanned three all-star batters. Three. These are, these are no slouch hitters, but see, the thing that I think was so amazing is, guess how many of them struck out swinging? Come on now, you know, because you can strike out looking, right, right? And the ball was going fast enough that I'm pretty sure that they might not have been able to see the ball, but all of them struck out swinging. And here's my point, because all-star batters know. They know that you strike out or you miss 100% of the hits that you don't swing at, right now if you've been here this series if you haven't you get a review but if you've been here this series i hope you've learned that failing doesn't make you a failure and god uses people who fail cuz there aren't any other kinds and not only does god use people who fail but god is at work in what we're doing and he wants to i mean he wants us to know that failing is actually necessary For us to succeed in life, for us to grow in our faith, and for us to become who God wants us to become. See, the more we do, well, at least the more you do and the more I do, the more I fail. But the more you fail, the more you learn. And the more you learn, the better you get. So we've got to fail. Paradoxically, the less you venture out, the less you take the risks, the greater your chances of failing. Because we miss 100% of the shots we don't take. So the only way people truly succeed in life and in faith is to take risks. Take God-inspired risks. See, people who take risks, they have to embrace the possibility that they may fail. They have to embrace it like a best friend. Let's go really feminine with this one. Like, just love it. Now, we've been looking at the faith and the failures of Abraham and Sarah. Giant pillars in the faith. And before we get to the greatest risk that Abraham took in his life, I want us to just think about how, like, just even the fact that that Abraham and Sarah, not only are they recorded in 10-ish chapters of the Bible in Genesis, way at the beginning, but numerous, writer after writer after writer, refers back to their faith sometimes to their failures, but mostly to their faith in the Old Testament and then in the New Testament over and over and over. I'm thinking specifically of Hebrews and James, for example. James, the writer, says, like, he gets this. He, he uses Abraham as his climax example in the story that we're going to look at in a second. But he starts off his letter, and I just want us to look at this to consider that maybe there are some benefits to embracing the possibility of failure like embracing the benefits of taking a risk. Because James says in James 1, chapter 2, after he greets everyone, he says that we should consider it pure joy. Dear friends in the faith, dear brothers and sisters, we should consider it pure joy whenever we face trials of many kinds because we know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Like this idea of tests and trials in the scripture here, they're all kind of like experiments. They might be tests, they might be trials, they might be adversities, they might be hardships, and we're supposed to joyfully embrace those because they produce this resilience in us. They produce this endurance in us. If you've ever tried to, to run after, if you used to run and you, you stopped running for, you know, I don't know, a week, but a year or, or five years, you know that when you go back out to run, it, it's really painful. But if you can do it for a mile, and then you do it the next day for a mile, and then you do it the next day for a mile, all of a sudden, it doesn't become that hard. Like, our muscles build resilience. Well, so does our faith. Now, you might not be in a place right now where you're saying, I, I can't embrace that kind of adversity or that kind of possibility of failure. Um, at least I can't have joy about it. But if you're in that place, just imagine for a second or a moment that, that you wanted to take a pottery class, Okay? ceramics, high school, college, you can pick. You're going to take this quarter of pottery. Now, maybe it's because you really are an aspiring artist. Maybe it's because you need an elective figured out. Maybe there's a cute person in the class that you're trying to pursue, you know, or you thought it would be an easy A. But you're in this art class, this ceramics class, and you walk in the first day, and all of a sudden, the, the instructor divides the class into two groups and puts 9 to 12 of, y- 12 of you over here on the, on the right, on her right, and she says, okay, you're going to be my quantity group. So how I'm going to grade this, this quarter is that I'm going to weigh all the pottery that you make. We're going to do jars, we're going to do dishes, we're going to do little bowls. You know, they're not going to be many ounces, but if, if the whole group of 9 to 12 of you, if you get 50 pounds or more by the end of the quarter, then you guys get A's. If you get 40 pounds, then you get B's. If you get 30 pounds, C's, et cetera, et cetera. And then she turns to the people on On the right, yeah, you're right, no, left. Anyway, she turns to the quality group, and she says, you guys are going to be my quality group. Now, I don't actually need to see any of your artwork the whole quarter, but as a group, this 9 to 12 you, all you need to do is turn in one piece of perfect pottery. And if it is perfect, you get an A. If it's not so perfect to be, if it's, you know, pretty lackluster, then it might be a C or et cetera, et cetera. Now which group would you want to be in? See, James says that when we embrace the possibility of failure, when we embrace adversity, when we joyfully see these experiments to our faith as a chance to like get an assessment of where we're at in life and in faith, when we joyfully embrace those, you know what happens? We gain wisdom and maturity in life. James goes on to continue when he says in James 1.4 that we need to let perseverance finish its work so that we'll be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Sometimes the Bible uses completeness here or perfect here. It doesn't actually mean we'll be perfect, but it means we'll gain this wisdom, this maturity that, that Proverbs talks about, that, that Jesus talks about, and we'll do it by learning from our mistakes. See, the quantity group, see, uh, two, two professors actually did this. They wrote a book called Art and Fear, and they divided this class up. And the quantity group, they just kept churning out pottery. Some of it was awful, but they just weighed it, and they're like, oh, that wasn't so perfect, and they went back at it, and they threw some more pottery. And guess what? They, they changed their methods as they went. They learned from their mistakes, and they got better and better quality group they just kind of watched them make mistakes see the focus isn't if we make mistakes but rather do we sit and do we stew on the mistakes sure it's good to reflect and find out you know how we could change things but the key in that is that we learn from those mistakes See, God looks at our life, and he's, he's omniscient, he's omnipotent, he's, he's all-knowing, he can be everywhere all at once, and so he sees the beginning of our life, the middle of our life, and the end of our life, and he sees our life. I don't even know if we can fathom that, but that's how God sees us. So when we make a mistake along the way, remember, he sees all of it. And if you believe in Jesus, he actually sees Jesus and his sacrifice in your place. But don't so many of us take fear to take risks because we might make a mistake and we might look bad, and then we have to go put ourselves on that scale and see the imperfections? Well, the quantity group that was totally erased for them. they just kept kept churning out stuff, and they learned from it, they learned from it, they got better and better. See learning is defined by changing our behavior i I kind of feel when i when I when I was thinking about that, I'm like, well, that seems kind of elementary, but don't so many of us repeat the same mistakes and do the same things and then wonder why nothing's changing? Because learning is about changing our behavior. And that's what James says when he continues in this he talks about growing in the resilience of our faith, growing in this way to take adversity, embrace the possibility of failure. Not only will we gain wisdom and completeness, but he says that when we listen to God's word in James one twenty two, when we listen to God's word and do what it says, then we're, we're going after God. And when we don't, listen to, when we listen to God's word and don't do what it says, it says we're fooling ourselves. In fact, he gives this example of like, it's like we went in front of the mirror And we looked at ourselves, and then we walked away and forgot what we look like. These are people who don't learn from their mistakes. Author and leadership guru Ken Blanchard says that you haven't learned anything until you take action and use it. The quality group, they made many theories about what would be a perfect piece of pottery. They had many, many brainstorming sessions about the ways they could make perfect pottery. And they even argued about how they could make perfect pottery. And at the end of the semester, do you know what they found out? Or at the end of the quarter, do you know what they had? They had a pathetic lump of clay. They didn't do anything. Certainly not a perfect one. And this quantity group, they had masterpieces by the end of the time. And Why I'm giving this example is because James is trying to tell a people the benefits of being able to go through adversity, the benefits of being able to embrace the possibility of failure, the benefits of going through the hardships that might mean to them in their time death. This isn't about 48, 50 A.D., the Roman Empire is squeezing its ugly grip on Jews and Jewish Christians in Rome and back in Jerusalem. And these people, it might just not mean death for them, it may mean death of the Jesus movement. And James is trying to encourage them. He's trying to say, look, this isn't just about like, some self-help here to get you know, more endurance and resilience and to get a, little bit, more, a little, little bit more maturity in our life or to gain some confidence in taking God-inspired actions. He says this is about gaining God's approval as a reward. And he climaxes the whole story about taking action and embracing adversity and having faith. He climaxes his whole thing here. He gets a little, you know, you might see it. Um, if you if we were to go through and study James here, we might see this little thing on favoritism as, as like, ah, oh, how does that fit in? But it's really about taking our faith, believing our faith, and then doing something with it. That's that whole section. And what he climaxes with in James 2.21 is he says, don't you remember our ancestor Abraham? He was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. Come back to that because that's a little crazy. But he says, you see, his faith and his actions work together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened just as the scriptures say that Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. Now, if you're someone who has the chance to be kind of mature, uh, maybe even like an adult kid, Isn't there, and and you have a a pretty good relationship with your parents. It's one thing to be called son or daughter, but it's another thing to, to be in this place where your parent sees you as friend. And Abraham is called God's friend. So James says, so you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. He's not discounting faith. This isn't just all about our actions, but our faith has to be there and our faith has to move us. And that's this, 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 this whole, whole series of failing forward. It's not really about being successful in life. It's about being successful in faith and I think successful in faith is being approved unto God. Gaining God's approval as a reward of a life well-lived, of a faith that is centered in Christ that has integrity, that moves and takes action and does what God asks us to do. Now, turn with me to Genesis 22 because this is Abraham's biggest risk. And it doesn't make sense for so many of us. I think people who've read this over and over try and dismiss it. Maybe God didn't really mean that. Maybe, maybe he's just trying to explain how it felt. Genesis 22 says, Sometime later, Sometime later, in all of Abraham's faith and failures, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. This may be as Moses, the writer of Genesis, doesn't tell us that Abraham knew it was a test. He just knows that he heard from God, Abraham! And he replied, here I am. And God said, Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. On a mountain, I will show you. And early in the morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. Let's just pause there for a moment. because maybe you're already thinking what I was thinking, which God would never do that. This goes against God's character, completely contradicts it, I think. And God's already made promises to Abraham about Isaac that through Isaac, this would happen. And he's given him the son at 100 years old. And this is years later. Abraham has put all of his hopes, all of his dreams, all of his prayers into Isaac. And God says, take your son, your only son, the son you love. And if there's any, con- if there's any wondering, Isaac. And go to this region of Moria, to the, to the mountain that I will tell you to go up on. And there sacrifice him as a burnt offering. This whole complete surrender, that's what this kind of burnt offering is talked about. And we're not told if Abraham argues with God. We're not told the night that Abraham has. We're not told if he sleeps. We're not told if he argues. We're not told if he begs or pleads or cries or just cries out to God. We're told that early in the morning that Abraham went out and Abraham cut the wood for the fire and he loaded up and he did exactly what God told him to do. Because see, to love God and not do what he says, like James says, we fool ourselves. We don't remember who we are. But see, to love God and not do what he says is disobedience, right? But sometimes delayed obedience is disobedience. Oh, maybe someday I'll do that. And see, God doesn't want, I mean, God loves us. And I know it's probably hard to see in this picture that God loves us, but remember, God's love goes way beyond our circumstances. That's what James is trying to encourage the people about, to embrace these trials, to gain resilience, to remember that our joy isn't dependent on our circumstances, whether someone's in the hospital or being sick, or, or whether we have joy of new babies, in, or whether we have just the horror of premeditated death. You know, all those things happen this week around us in our nation, or maybe in our lives, and and delayed obedience, still disobedience. God wants us to love Him, but He won't make us love Him. Has God been nudging you? Has He been telling you something in your life? Leading you in a way that's like, ooh, I don't know. That just seems to contradict your character, God. Ooh, that just seems too big, too much, too hard. This is a good thing that I'm holding, God. This is, this is okay. You've blessed it. You've actually given me promises that through this, you'll do things. You'll even do things with me. And I'm not trying to take the credit, God. But that, I just don't know if I can do that. maybe god's asking you to trust him even though you don't have all the answers to take that risk even though it might fail to take the risk even though you don't know the end example and and we see in abraham what we see here is a person who's learned from their faith failures a person remember like sold off his wife in egypt like, argued with his nephew, didn't necessarily, like, bargained with God, leaned on his own wit instead of God's wisdom. This is not a man who's like that anymore. What we see here is him immediately following out of a love and devotion for God. Step by step, it's painful and confusing, but he takes the risk. And his risk isn't just this faith and this wishy-washy hope. It's this absolute, this absolute, absolute hope, this absolute confidence that the God who's been faithful to him for years and years and years and years will be faithful in this confusing, confusing and painful situation. See, sometimes we go through tests, and we're not supposed to test God, but sometimes we go through tests and we forget that God wants us to know that that he'll come through that test too. That we'll learn that he passes the test, that he is faithful if we take the risk. And that's what we see. We see on the third day, it says in the next verse on the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. On the third day, he's not back in Beersheba where he spent a lot of time in the southern region where he's been this foreigner, but he's kind of developed his pastoring. He's not there anymore, but he's not yet to that mountain where God is going to provide, because that's what Moriah means. We're, we're jumping ahead in the story, but he's not quite there yet, but he knows that he can see it in the distance. He's in that halfway point. Just a little beyond halfway though because he can see it. Maybe you've had moments like that. Moments that you're not sure what's going to happen but you can see this little inkling, this little piece of light at the end of the tunnel, this little way that God's going to say, I'm going I'm to take you through. And Abraham goes. He sees it in the distance. He says to his servant, stay here with the donkey while the boy and I go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Does Abraham know that God is going to save him? I don't think so. He just knows that God's been faithful. And if God said he's going to provide, then then I'm going to trust him. And Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and then placed it on his son Isaac. And then he himself carried the fire and the knife and the two of them went on together. Trust and closeness between father and son. The two of them went on together and then Isaac spoke up and said, Father, yes, my son. The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? That's why I didn't ask you to cut up the wood, son. Uh, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. And the two of them went on together. Again, closeness. And when they reached the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there, and he arranged the wood, and he bound his son Isaac, and he laid him on the altar, on top of the wood, Because, see, Abraham loved his son so much. But the test was I think the test was did God love his son more than his God? God is a gentleman. He will not invade your life and intrude in your life. But when you invite him in, he deserves to be first. And he's patient. He'll work with us. He'll give us lots of tests and trials to get us to this point where we can actually put them first and keep putting them first. But sometimes God gives us really good gifts that we can hold on to and f- start to forget about the giver of the good gifts. And God might put us to a test. What has God given you that you just absolutely love? Maybe, maybe it's your job. It's okay to love your job. Maybe you're just really good at it or you just really love what you do. It's okay. How tightly do you hold it? Maybe he's given you some talents. You know, you're great at meeting people or you're great with details or you're really an encourager and you just love that and God is going to use it. He's given you those talents. It's okay. How tightly do you hold it? Or a Relationship. Or your family, people that you care about, that you hold, but do you hold them too tightly? Some people, it's really easy in the suburbs, it's really easy to love your home or your schedule or your free time, depending on how much you get to dictate your schedule. It's start to hold that too tightly and love it more than you love God. But see, when Abraham puts himself all out there, puts himself all out there and says, okay, God, I'm trusting you. I don't, I don't even know, but I trust you. He reaches out and he takes his hand, the text says, and he puts the knife up to slay his son and the angel of the Lord intervenes. He says, no, stop, Abraham, stop. Now I know. Do not lay a hand on him. Now I know that you fear God that you put him first because you've not withheld your son your only son the son you love the thing that you hold most dear I know that you haven't held it and now I will surely do all the things that I will that I've said and promised that I will do I will surely bless you I will bless the world through you I will do everything I promised I will prove myself faithful to you because you have obeyed me and the text goes on to give this praise and approval as a reward. See, sometimes success, sometimes risk is actually surrender. And I think surrender means giving to God what we hold most dear to us. It means not holding on too tightly to what I think will bring me happiness. Happiness. And Abraham walked up to this mountain, Moria. The only other time in scripture that Moria is talked about is when they build the temple in Jerusalem. They build it on Mount Moria. The temple of God. This place that Jesus would come and try and teach the people. The place that Solomon said, God doesn't live in temples. If, if he did, though, this is a good one, but he doesn't live here. He can't be contained in it. I think he built it for you, not for him. But on that mountain, He walked up and he offered his son. And God proved himself faithful and he provided. That's what Moriah means. The Lord will provide. And he's always been faithful in the past. And Abraham says, Okay, you're going to be faithful in the future. Isaac had to surrender too. Because, see, Isaac is probably in his late teens or early 20s at this time. He's strong enough to carry the heavy load of wood that was on the donkey that Abraham couldn't carry. Abraham had to cut it because he would have cut, Isaac would have cut just enough for a lamb, not enough for himself. And he puts it on his son who's strong enough to carry it. And if he's strong enough to carry the wood and Abraham's not, then he's strong enough to overpower his father. And he willingly lets himself be restrained and let himself be offered. He trusts his dad and his God enough to do this. See, side note, but I don't think teenagers like this happen. You know, they don't just come through our house and like, they're amazing. They don't just have this great program at church or we attend occasionally. This happens because Christ is at the center of a family where he's involved in the daily life, where he's worshipped, where he's trusted, where he's prayed, where they watch parents who put God first. And if you don't feel like you do that well and you're a parent, there's no better time to start than right now. Let him see your mistakes, but let him see your faith. You might feel more like the sun right now. Like I'm strong enough to go against what what seems like God's path, or I'm being told where to go and I want to choose where to go. Where I'm being asked to carry this heavy burden or I'm feeling restrained in what I have to do and I might have to go through something hard. I don't want to do that. I can't have joy in it. I, don't, I, I care that I'll have resilience, but and surrender means risking that God knows better what we need than we know ourselves. See, more than Isaac being put on the altar and God, or Abraham raising up that knife is this God intervention who says, now I know that you love me more than anything else and everything else and I will give you back your son, your only son, the son you love. And I'll provide a sacrifice and I'll bless you. See, I think if you're still at a place where you're afraid to risk, consider that the God of the universe is a little bit like Abraham and that he had to carry a heavy burden and that he had to take a huge risk by sending his son to earth, that he taught us and he helped us learn from our mistakes, but we kind of rejected him, that God is even more than Abraham and Jesus is even more than Isaac because this son carried a piece of wood down that mountain Moriah and across the way. And the son was bound to this piece of wood, nailed to this piece of wood and hung up on this piece of wood. And when when the knife came by, when the sword came by to pierce him to make sure he was dead, God didn't provide a substitute. He took the punishment, he took the pain and he was the substitute. And that's how we have life. Because God doesn't do anything or ask us to do anything that he wouldn't do himself. And, and that's the good news. What's God's response to evil in the world? I'm gonna give you my best. Even if you destroy it, I will give you my best because I love you. And Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. He's the one who provides a way for us to be restored with God so what might God need to offer what might God be wanting you to offer band's going to come up as we start to reflect start to close today but I just ask you to take a moment let God speak to you maybe he's going to speak just approval because you've been maturing and growing in your faith Maybe he's going to ask you to offer a fear or an anxiety. Maybe he's going to ask you to offer the people you love most or the things you love most. Maybe he's going to ask you to surrender control of something. But ask what he might want you to offer. And then know that God also wants to bless you and make you mature and complete. Because imagine what it would look like to take godly risks. There are people around you that might need to be invited to be V.S. There might be coworkers or friends in your life that are asking you, just begging. They're waiting. They haven't said it, but they're asking with their eyes, please tell me about your faith because you, you have something that I desperately want. You have hope. You're able to get through things. And, and yeah, you might get down, but but you see something that I don't see, that I don't have, I really want to know. Will you tell me about Jesus? Will you invite me into your life? Or would you invite me to church? Because I want it. People who take godly risks, they have these opportunities. They see it. They get God's approval. They hear the blessings. So during this song, ask God. And then also during the song, or even at the end of it. I challenge you to write what God might be offering. Write it as an act of love. Maybe you're going to write it as an act of accountability so that, so that you have people praying for it. Write it as an act of encouragement. There might be some people here who are still too afraid to take that risk. But will you write it? Will you offer it? Will you let God love you? Because people who have faith and embrace adversity and take action gain God's smile as their reward.